guys, welcome back to another ESL podcast. I'm your host, Arsenio, as usual, and today we're going to be getting into, uh, I don't know, let's call it, I don't know what I'm going to call it, but it's going to be a discussion point along with the listening. We're going to be talking about a wide range of things that talk about cities, suburbs, poverty, um, what is it, a typical commute between cities, and then we're going to listen to something about Medellin. If you guys don't know what Medellin is, it was a that notorious town. Oh my God, I'm fumbling, fumbling over all of my words. It was a notorious town in Colombia. This was during the Pablo Escobar days. Okay, one of the biggest drug lords in all of humanity. Well, not really, uh, but uh, Pablo Escobar he ran things in Medellin, the Colombian national side, which was ranked number fourth in the nation at the time, went into the World Cup of the 1994, and there was a guy by the name of Andres Escobar. He ended up scoring an own goal, and this was one of those really, really tragic days because he ended up going back to Medellin after they had, I don't even think they made the round of 16, but him and his team, that was highly fate, man, they were, they were supposed to win the World Cup back in 94. But I think they got ousted very early, went back to Medellin. He was in the hotel. He told his friends on the team saying, hey, I want to go out and get some fresh air. Next, you know, he was approached by about two to three gangsters, if I'm not mistaken, and they took him out, meaning they killed him. And so it was very sad. This is, and you know what? I think just one week or two weeks prior to that, Pablo Escobar was killed. So people went on to say, you know what? If Pablo Escobar was still alive, Andres Escobar would have still been alive too. Heard about this story back in about 2004, 2005. I still remember I was a kid. I didn't know what was going on. But it was a 30 for 30 on that uh, ridiculous sports site by the name of ESPN. So, again, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to listen to things in terms of, like, you know, transforming a slum into a city, the violent crime, uh, the regeneration project that is aiming to help citizens of that town, and now it being just so beautiful. But before we get into that, let's do a nice little discussion here, guys. I want to ask you guys a question. Why do you think cities have expanded at a faster rate than the suburbs? I'm going to give you a comparison right now. A comparison of U.S. suburbs and cities, okay? So suburbs and cities, population change of suburbs up 0.9%, cities 1.2%. Very, very similar. Now, percent or i'm sorry the percent growth in poor population between 2000 to 2011 in america the poor population in suburbs up 65 percent however in the city it's up only 30 percent number of jobs within a typical commute distance 2000 to 2012 down eight percent in the suburbs and down four percent in the city Average cost of living per year suburbs of 35,000 US dollars compared to uh, an astonishing, probably about a 20, 23% hike, 45,000 uh, in the city in 2015. So when saying that, all I could do is say, okay, let's look at some of the statistics living out here in Thailand. You know, the government is so centric on only Bangkok, they don't care about the rest of Thailand. Apparently, Bangkok is the only city within Thailand. This is their perception. And so if you, if I were to go back 
to the southeast side of Thailand and go to school, man, I would get paid pennies. What I make in, let's just, ooh, what I make in about 25 hours, I would have to put in maybe, ooh, a consistent 120 hours out of school for the month salary, okay? Month salary, 120 hours or so, or up to like 160. And that's comparable to what I would make in just 30 hours teaching. So again, this puts it into perspective and, you know, beckons the question, hey, you know, I don't know what's going on, you know, in terms of the job opportunities in different parts of the country. But when I came to Bangkok, man, that's when I started making some serious money on the outskirts, right? But again, working for money is the worst way that you could earn money. But for me and with my mindset at that time was actually really good to go on a huge surplus, like a double to a triple surplus in, what, in terms of what I was making per month. Now, my rent was free in Southeast Thailand because I was living on a university campus. My next job in the South of Thailand, it was not free. I had to pay 5000 bot a month, which is 166 US dollars, respectively, probably around that, you know, probably give or take probably about $10 or so. So again, was that pretty expensive? I, th I think it was because from my salary at work, I'm getting docked about what, 16%. Is it 16%? Maybe about 13%. But living expenses were very cheap, right? So again, lunch, 30 baht, you know, dinner could be up to 40 baht, 50 baht. KFC would be considered expensive out there. McDonald's was uber expensive. And so when I finally moved to this city, there was more opportunity, more money. But again, expenses do go up. You would probably encounter this anywhere in the world. Singapore, of course, but I think Singapore and the expenses are high everywhere. But there are areas where it's poor, but that's where the low socioeconomical people live. This is what you would call the ghetto in America. And of course, I'm from the ghetto. I chose not to be in the ghetto, right? I lived in the ghetto, but my mind was not in the ghetto. It wasn't in the gutter either. Now, other people, they lived in the ghetto and they became the ghetto. Therefore, they were the ghetto. Me, I'm looking around at the people. I'm like, wow, you guys are sad excuses of human beings. I want no part of you. I made a decision. So. If we look at, and to just be, to be honest with you guys, there's a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of people would say, oh, America, man, you know, you make a lot of money. No, 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 no. Don't be fooled. The minimum wage never goes up. The majority of Americans make between $10 or let's just say $8 and $13 an hour. I know in your country, you'd be like, oh my God, that's a lot. And you know, you could send money home, which they do a lot of you know, citizens from Thailand and from Philippines and et cetera, et cetera, which is all fine. But a lot of things that you see online, they would say, oh, most American families or most Americans get between 20 and $30 an hour. That is the biggest lie in the world. You have to have at least a university degree in a respective field working in a cubicle, or you have to be a nurse, a firefighter, or a paramedic, something like that. Just the normal jobs that you would see in any English, like English language book. That's the only way that you're going to be making some serious money. So that's just to put things into perspective. So why is it that cities are expanding more at a faster rate than suburbs? Obviously, because, well, there aren't that many jobs in the suburbs out here in Thailand. I'm speaking from experience. 
listen, the only way you're going to make some money is if you work in the city, but salaries aren't going up. However, I do know some people who make a very, very solid salary, right? For most Thai people, they would be sitting comfortable at about $800 a month, but they have to live with someone because living in a condo like this, this is a, this is a fat, what, 400 US dollars. So there's no way they're going to be able to pay for food, transportation, this, that, this, that, and to, you know, cover all expenses. That doesn't work. However, I have other friends who I've taught and they make double that right? They make probably double and some change of that. They make about 120% more. That is more than enough because you'll be able to save, you'll be able to travel, you'll be able to do this, you'll be able to do that. These are really good salaries, right? I'm talking only salaries. I'm not speaking about assets. So with that being said, if you work outside of Bangkok, the government doesn't take care of those areas. There are no opportunities in that area and you're going to get paid a very, very little amount. You might get lucky and land something good in Phuket. You might get something in, uh, lucky and land something good in, and uh, what is it, Chiang Mai. Might work in a, re in a resort out there in Krabi. But to be honest with you, it's, those, that's, that's not a normal, I wouldn't say that's a normal job, but that's not like being a nurse. A nurse, they get paid egregiously low, meaning extremely low and uh, criminally low. They get paid 500 US dollars a month. Meanwhile, flight attendants for Air Asia who just stand around and smile, they get paid a good 15 to, what is it, 15 to 2,000 US dollars a month, 1,500 to 2,000. So again, cities are expanding, more opportunities, more money, more, way, more ways of moving up the ladder. I'm not talking about owning the ladder, but moving up the ladder. So why might poverty be a greater issue in the suburbs? This is obviously because governments do not focus on the suburbs. They focus on, like this government, they focus on tourism. So they want to make everything very, very viable and easy to get around, which I'm going to be talking about the commute. Now, because Phuket, and so many people have complained about the commutes there, there is highway robbery. The taxis are extortionate. They steal. They cheat. And so, yeah, Phuket is not a very desirable place to go. Chiang Mai is not a desirable place to go. You know, there's, a, there's something called a Songtail, which is like a red carriage van. Van, well, it has an opening in the back. You just get on, but you have to pay six US dollars to get on that. Guys, that is criminal. Let me give you an example. A bus is only 33 cents for me to get from one side to the other. Out there, and no one does anything to stop this extortion. So, no, people aren't going to want to go to Chiang Mai. So now the government's like, oh, well, we need to hurry up and build a rail system to connect the airport in Phuket to Phuket Town. We need to build one in Rachasimai, Konken. Okay, these are two other big cities. And Chiang Mai, finally in Chiang Mai, so you can kick out all the mafia. So, in saying that, this is why... The government re realizes that, you know what, if we could start connecting everything with adequate transportation, things might get better. And yeah, things will get better. This is why the mass transit system, if you look at the, you know, New York, my folks out there in New York, you guys are listening to me, right? Now, New York City has a phenomenal, a very, very old, very, very smelly, out of date, disgusting train system, but it works, okay? Sometimes it doesn't, but hey, it works. You got you have stops everywhere to get to different places, which is amazing. 
What I love so much about New York, they installed this probably before the 1900s, if I'm not mistaken, or just a little bit after, you know, well into the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. They established this system. Thailand, they have almost the same population of New York City, and they have only probably three train lines compared to the spider web, the, the spider web on top of a spider web that both Singapore has and Hong Kong and parts of China and New York City and the lube out there in, uh, what is it, London. See what I mean? See where I'm going? So they said, man, the traffic is terrible with the traffic, pollution. You know, they started, they started connecting dots and they finally got some answers. So they said, let's hurry up and push these projects. So they opened two, I think it was two or three big lines last year and the year before. And now they have a line that's very, very easy for people to commute from one side, like right there in the heart of the city. They could commute all the way to the left side suburbs, right? And it's very quick, and it's only two minutes between each station, and they could get home within about 30, 40 minutes. It's amazing. Well, depending on what type of super block they live in. I'm very, very, very lucky because me, it only takes me four, about four minutes to walk to the SkyTrain, the train from where I live. But there are so many other super blocks that I'm looking at from my window, whereas if they walk from where they are, it would take 15 to 20 minutes, depending on how fast they walk. So super blocks remain a massive problem. But connecting the different areas, this is huge. Next year is going to be one of the biggest years in all. Next year is going to be the biggest year in Thailand history. They're opening the biggest train. Uh, what is it? the Grand Station, the biggest train station in all of Asia. They're opening a new airport link. They're opening that red line that exists on that airport link, which is in the most ridiculously infested traffic, notorious area in the world. That, put, that road is garbage. And you know what's crazy? In each direction, they have 10 lanes, and they still have traffic back up. And I'm not talking about ordinary traffic like Los Angeles traffic. No, I'm talking about if it rains, you're sitting in traffic for five to 10 hours. Yeah. Welcome to the gridlocks of the Philippines. And that's only just the reference. I'm talking about Bangkok here. So open that. Open the biggest station. Open the yellow line, rock monorail. Open the peak line, the monorail. Open the, uh, the gold line, which should be opening this year. That's going to connect other big shopping centers. There are still problems with these super blocks, though. They're going to have to start cleaning up and putting some type of trans system in the middle of the street, such as what, you know, Hong Kong has. So, again, why might the number of jobs within a typical commute, okay, or a typical commute distance be decreasing in both suburbs and cities? So, again, jobs within a typical distance or a commute distance going down in both suburbs and cities? Well, I mean, if you look at it this way, the typical commute could be for me, four stations, get off the train, boom, there goes my job. Well, everyone wants to work there because why? It's centrally located, it's very easy to get to, and that's all. But other places would be very, very difficult to get to. So I'm gonna give you an example. If someone says, hey, Arsenio, let's meet up, I'm like, where? and I look at the map, and it's in some kind of super block, I say, absolutely not. There's no train around there. If there's no train, I don't go. And they say, oh, man, come on, Arsenio. No. 
if there's no train, I do and will not go. It's a waste of time. So imagine living in that neighborhood and there being jobs around in that neighborhood. Not many people are going to go to those jobs, right? Those are the outskirt jobs. It's very difficult, all right? Those are the rare commute distances. It's difficult to commute to those types of areas. But on the other hand, areas that are just outside the SkyTrain system or condos, condominiums that are just outside the SkyTrain system, those are high in demand. So those jobs are decreasing. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So what we're going to do now, and what I'm going to play right now, is a wonderful, and I mean a very, very wonderful little recording. We're gonna talk about Medellin. So before we even talk about this, I want you guys to think about it. I got three questions for you. Number one, what aspects of the regeneration of Medellin? I'm just gonna say Medellin, Medellin, Medellin. No, I can't, Medellin, I hate saying that. Okay, do you think are the most important? What aspects do you think are the most important? Number two, how can governments and local authorities decide which areas would benefit most from the regeneration projects? And number three is a quote, quote, it is the people who live in our community, not the facilities or whether it looks like, that influence how we feel about where we live. What you have to believe is, I'm sorry, or what you would have to think about is, do you agree with that statement? So with that being said, guys, I'm going to play this bad boy right now, and you are going to have to listen very carefully for those specific questions so that we can actually go through with it. All right, so here we go. If it wants to work. In the heart of the Colombian slums of Medellin, a transformation is taking place. Local residents are coming together to create a network of paths, allotments, and drainage canals to contain urban sprawl and provide green spaces for the community. This is the latest of many government initiatives over the past decade aimed at reclaiming a city once plagued by violent crime. Local gardener Santiago Araque explains his enthusiasm for the project. I feel great, satisfied with what we have done throughout the community. It's something nice the community has done, because all the workers around here are people from the neighborhood. Convincing local residents as well as the gangs that still hold sway over these slums was a key part of enabling the transformation. Now there are landscaped parks, open-air gyms, schools, playgrounds, and community halls that ring to the sound of local youth orchestras. So why has this initiative been such a success? Perhaps the biggest impact of this entire process has been the confidence it has instilled in the community. People who did not believe in either the state or themselves. People here never thought they would be capable of working together like this one day. Another success story is the Spanish Library House, an imposing black structure that is home to an art gallery, auditorium, and series of reading rooms, which is connected to the city by a cable car system that ferries nearly 40,000 people a day up and down the hillside. 
Projects like this aim to give unemployed youths an alternative to the crime and gang culture that still lurks below the surface of this regeneration fairy tale. Wow, so there it is. I mean, and she said, she emphasized that it still lurks underneath, which is, uh, I wouldn't say which is disheartening, but these things do exist, but it gives them an alternative. See, we have a choice. We have a choice. So what aspects do you think are the most important? Having that type of center for youth is very important. Having after school programs, I'm not sure about your country, but out there in America, depending on if you live in the inner city, let's say Chicago or New York City, wherever it may be, um, living in these areas, you know, you would need some after school program unless you get in with the wrong crowd. Meaning your friend says, hey man, you wanna come over here with my friends? We're gonna go to this place and play games. Next thing you know, there are drugs over there. Next thing you know, people are selling dope over there. This is how people fall, this is how young teenagers fall into traps. So to have some sort of youth center, such as what a boys and girls club, which is very, very famous out there in America, this is what it's known for, to help those high-risk children, those high-risk teenagers who live in these areas and who aren't able to choose right from wrong, even like sitting in a classroom. If they were one of those studious types, they would end up being targeted by other bullies within that class saying, oh, you're nothing but a bleep, 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 a whole bunch of bad words. So I think, of course, I think that would benefit the community the most. Um, and that quote, it is the people who live in our community, not the facilities or whether it looks like, that influence how we feel about where we live. Well, yeah, I mean, just think about it. Just think about it. If I walk down the street and people are giving me dirty looks everywhere, you would be scared. I would be scared. If I walk down the streets of Compton, I would be terrified because I know that at any given moment, someone will come up to me and they will accost me and possibly even mug me and say, hey, man, where are you from? Where are you from? Like, I'm from Las Vegas. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Southside City Park 69. You, you see what I mean? So these areas are littered with gang violence. But of course, government and local authorities do nothing to clean any of that garbage up because it's kind of like a systematic, systematic slavery, let's put it that way. So they're born into it. Therefore, they believe that there's nothing else outside of it. So that's a very important aspect. So again, um, influence how we feel and where we live. You know, there have been times where I had gone home back in America and I felt very, very uncomfortable. Uh, you know, even out here in Thailand, I wouldn't say at my apartment down south over there, no, but there was an apartment complex that I was living at, a relatively cheap one. It should have been a hell of a lot cheaper for what they were providing me. Uh, but while I was living there, I don't even know why I was living there, but while I was living there, it was very, very difficult because every time I went home, there was this beauty salon shop that was connected to the building. And they would be sitting outside and these would be mafia. You could tell by all these tattoos and what they do. And they just look like monsters. But they would say things in Thai, even if I brought one of my friends over, even if it was a girl, they would say, oh, they would say things in Thai and say bad things about me. But of course, in their language. So that's the people who live in the community that make me feel how I've always felt about Thai people. Of course, that's not what all Thai people are. No, that's kind of, I, I would, I would, 
uh, pinpoint that as a slum. Let's put it that way. Yes, I believe that that's a slum. Why? It's not so much how poor they are. We're not talking about monetary, but we're talking about mindset. So are there those slums uh, in Thailand? Are they very prevalent nowadays? Not necessarily. Uh, I've never been to the, the, the most famous slum called Klong Kali, uh, but the only thing I would go so far to say is slums in Thailand aren't like India. It's not like rampant, crazy poverty, trash everywhere, pigs eating some of this garbage and then viruses. No, 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 no. It's not what you see or what you have been seeing on TV with the whole coronavirus and what's going on out there in Wuhan, Hubei. It's like river communities. So when I say Klong Tui, Klong means canal. Canal Tui. So this part of the river and the land that's next to the river, it's not owned by the government. It's not owned by anyone. So anyone can build any type of house on that river. This is where most slums or you, this is where most homeless people or let's just, people would go so far to call them slum dogs, but this is where a lot of poor people and these you know poverty infested areas are. And so if you go to Klong Thuy, it's just over a river. When I go to immigration, where it's actually next to that new train system that I was just telling you about, the red line. Um, I'll be able to get right off at that train system, walk down, and I can either take a grab bike, which is kind of like an Uber but on a motorcycle, or I could just walk a little bit and take a little motorcycle right over there around the corner. But when I walk over that bridge, that, there's a river, and there's a community on that river. I would go so far to call that, yes, that is a slum. But some people would say, no, that's just a community. But this is a community where people don't have to pay rent for the land that they live on. And it's green. And it smells like ammonia. So this could be very dangerous for the, uh, for the lungs, you know, uh, long term. But people don't understand that. So these are some things to consider. I think Medellin and what they're doing right now is fantastic. I've answered the questions and I would love to hear what you have to say about your specific areas, especially. So guys, with that being said, that's the end of this podcast. I'll be waiting for more. I'll be waiting for your answers. I'll be waiting for everything. If you got any questions, you make sure you get in contact with me. I'm your host as always, over and out.